You're listening to Panthers on Tap. I'm Curtis Round, joined by Bryson Carbley. We're just two fans sharing our love for the game in Carolina Panthers football. So join us, crack open a cold one, some bubbly, a little wine, some scotch. We don't care, whatever makes you sleep better at night. Before we dive into the episode, a little self-promotion. Stop what you're doing. Go give us a follow on Twitter at Panthers on Tap. Join the discussion on our Facebook group. We have over 2,500 members. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcast. Just search Panthers on Tap. Frank Reich was introduced early this afternoon as the sixth full-time head coach in Carolina Panthers history. Bryson, good to have you back. I got to get your reaction first to the hire of Frank Reich and then also your initial thoughts on the press conference today. Yeah, glad glad to be back, uh, you know, going through some things personally and with, uh, with the training for work. So trying to get on when I can, but um, starting in February, I'll be back full time and, and we'll be missing these random shows here and there. But but yeah, uh, I think as a lot of people know about me, um, I've been on the Frank Reich train for a while. Uh, I was always number two for me behind Ben Johnson. And once Ben Johnson dropped out, uh, I liked Reich a lot. Uh, and as soon as he was fired from Indianapolis, you can go back and check my tweets in November. I tweeted, you know, he is going to be a player in the Carolina Panthers head coaching search just because of his history and his offensive mind. So I'm, I'm glad that Tepper made the right decision, in my opinion, bringing in an offensive minded coach uh, that, you know, has proven that he can win in this league. <clears throat> and, I, you know, his his biggest task will be can he figure out the quarterback position? And I think that the Carolina Panthers are positioned well right now to uh, get their guy this offseason in the draft and and roll from there. So uh, I was very excited that he was announced as as the, you know, the 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 choice in the head coaching search. And and like I mentioned, I think Tepper made the right choice. He took his time this time and did not rush into anything. So uh, I was excited. I immediately went on eBay and looked for some right jerseys, but uh, it seems like I was a little too late to the party on that. And the prices were extremely high or there weren't, weren't very many in my size. So uh, it's nice to have the guy who threw the first touchdown ever come back and be your head coach and, and take over in a very, you know, rough time in Carolina. And, and hopefully he can return us to the glory days and, um, and get back to winning, uh, which we all need very bad in Carolina. Yeah, funny you say that about the jersey. I actually – when – when they announced it, that was one of the first things I did is I jumped on e- eBay and I there was a jersey for about 80 bucks. And I, che- I, wa- I wanted to double check to make sure it was like a legit one from back in the day. So I was doing some searching on that. And when I went back, it was sold already. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I was pissed because I, I, if I would have just bought it right then and there, I would have had it because it was one of those. It wasn't a bit. It was like best offer or whatever. And then there was one that was, there was another one on there that was, it was bidding. And when I first went on, it was at $40. Yeah. And when I went back, it was already at 130 Oh, <laughs> that emit, like those couple, you know, 15, 20 minutes. So yeah. Just crazy how that uh, went off. But back to the press conference. So I watched a press conference live today, and then I rewatched it this evening. And then I even went back, and some of y'all are going to call me crazy on this, but I rewatched Matt Rule's introductory press conference as well to compare the two because I wanted to see. You miss him? I wanted to see. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to see how they compared. And I'll start with Reich. For me, he seemed genuine, genuinely excited for the role and like genuinely excited to be back with the Panthers. That was the first thing that caught my attention. And specifically, there was a point in the con- press conference he said, like, come on, let's go. Like yeah. he, he was like one of those guys in the locker room, like pumped, he's ready to roll, hit the ground running type of thing. So that was one, that was just one instance. I also like that he shared his vision and he talked, you know, X's and O's and didn't hide behind like a closed curtain and kind of deflect those for a later time. And he talked about the importance of a run game. He talked about building off of the run game with the play action and the vertical game and the RPOs and movement with the quarterback position. And then he also talked about the importance of defense and, being the special, he called it the special sauce for the team. 
with this team. And then he also talked, you know, how football has is moving to a more mobile quarterback type game and that he loves that idea. Um, and that kind of you could kind of see where he is headed with his mind for the future. He also talked about the success of the team down the stretch and how the defense, you know, was playing well. The offense came along, the success of the run game, the offensive line. And he did a nice job of actually, it, it seemed like he was a football coach. He knew he, it was more important to him, the, that you know, the X's and O's part of it and, you know, bonding and the bonding with the players. Now on the flip side, I watched Matt rules again. And when I first watched Matt Rule's press conference in 2020, I was sold on him. I will admit that wholeheartedly. But after re-watching it and knowing what I know and what I've seen from his like f- previous press conferences the last couple of years, total car salesman approach. Total car salesman. Like it was believable, but it was total car salesman. It had little substance and and what I mean by that is his actual plan. It felt like Matt Rule was hiding it. Like he didn't want to delve into the X's and O's. He used a lot of big picture type ideas, but he never really gave, you know, concrete type things and, you know, in, in his answers. And he didn't delve into the X's and O's like Frank Reich did in his press conference today. And he refused to say much about the current roster. They asked him, you know, what do you think? What's the landscape of this team? And Matt Rule, you know, kind of gave, he gave his famous line is, is I can't speak on it right now. I got to watch the tape. Like that's kind of what you got out of that press conference. And you got a ton more today of substance of what, you know, Frank Wright could do to this or with this team, what he plans to do, which I thought was worthwhile. Um, yeah, yeah, and I, I think the, the biggest thing that you've touched on kind of was the honesty and, and, the, and the clear vision. And that is, that's two things that we never had with Matt Rule in Carolina. Always seems like he was catching himself up in a lie. And, and like you mentioned, didn't really – didn't lay down, lay down a foundation for what his plan was to bring a Super Bowl to Carolina. And Frank Wright was clear and to the point, like even to the – down to the roster decisions, he says – Scott Fitter is going to be making the, the calls on who to sign, and I'm the one that's doing the active and inactive. Like, Matt Rule never came out and said either way until after he was fired, uh, you know, what what even that situation was. So I think to have an, a coach like Reich who is clearly honest, doesn't bullshit, and, and has a clear vision of, of what he wants in Carolina to hopefully have sustained success, is, is going to be a breath of fresh air that, you know, we haven't had in, in a very long time. You talked about the Scott Fitter stuff. I was about to bring that up too. What do you, do you feel like that relationship is going to play out pretty well between him? You and know, him? I, I do because I feel like they're kind of, they, they have the same personality, I think. And, and they're both really chill and laid back from, you know, from, from what I can tell as an outsider, uh, Scott Fitter doesn't seem like a guy that's going to be overbearing and, um, you know, his way or the highway kind of guy like uh, Dave Gettleman. But uh, and I think Reich is, is kind of the same way. He's he's going to collaborate. He mentioned that a lot of multiple times today in his presser. He, he's going to collaborate with the owner. He's going to collaborate with the GM and with the players. And I think that that collaboration between he and Scott Fitter is going to be hopefully a successful one in Carolina. And I even tweeted today that I really, truly believe that if anyone can bring it, bring a Super Bowl to Carolina, I think it will be Reich and, and Fitterer. I think that they have the right combination of, of you know, evaluation processes and Reich's offensive mind. And Scott Fitter has shown that he can evaluate ta- talent very well uh, via free agency and, and through the draft. So I think that being paired together and, and hopefully in the coming days we learn more about Reich's uh, staff, offensive and defensive. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, if if Reich doesn't get his the coordinator he wants offensive-wise and I think it's still up in the air that he he may play call, call plays himself, but uh, I think that together they are uh, we're definitely taking a step towards the right direction to to bring that Super Bowl to Carolina. Man, you just keep leading into my next thoughts, which is great. So play calling—that's the big question mark right now. And I'll start. I would personally like. 
Oh, I caught I caught uh, my stupid Apple Watch and Siri starts to yapping. Anyway, <laughs> I personally would like him to call plays in conjunction with an up and coming coach like a Brian Johnson from Philly, almost yeah. like the relationship, like the Andy Reid, Eric B type relationship. Like Andy Reid is still calling plays, but he also has input from Eric and Eric also still plot like there. It's almost like a marriage between the two. And I know that has kind of broken apart since then, but I feel like that is kind of the, what I would like, because I think, I mean, a big reason why they brought Frank Reich in was his, his offensive mind and his offensive play calling. So for that, for him to take that away and have someone else do that, I don't know if that would be the right move. And he's had success doing it in the past. What, how do you feel about that? Do you, do you want him to bring, you know, in, you know, some up or a, a top name offensive coordinator and then, you know, he kind of t- steps back a little bit and is just overseeing the operation, or do you want him to still call the plays? No, I'm on the same page with you. I think that that's part of the reason why he was brought in is because of his offensive mind. Well, it's probably the, the main reason he was brought in is his offensive mind, and um, I prefer that he is the one to call plays in Carolina. He mentioned it today that he enjoys it, um, but he sees a trend of, of in the league of it going the other way where the, co- the coordinators are calling plays, but I think Reich is is a guy that's gonna he's just gonna be open to everything. On you know he's not gonna keep anything off the table, and I think that says a lot about him as a man. And um, he's not set in his ways. He's you know he's keeping that open mind. And he, maybe I will call the place. Maybe I won't. We'll see uh, how it goes. But um, I you know personally as a fan, I hope he does call the place because like you mentioned, um, he he's a proven winner and a proven uh, elite offensive mind in this league. So. Let's go to the defensive side of things because that's another big question mark. And it sounded like Vic Fangio was probably his top coordinator or the organization's top defensive coordinator they were trying to get. But if they can't get Vic Fangio, and it's seeming more and more unlikely at this point, especially with 49ers job opening up now, anyone in particular you'd like to see call and plays on defense for, for this team? Yeah, I think the two the two other guys they interviewed, um, Marquad Emmanuel and uh, uh, Chris Richards from the Saints. I think they're both good options. Uh, Emmanuel, I think, coached a top five defense when he was with Atlanta, and Richards has been an assistant with the Saints for a while. And I think he has ties to Seattle when uh, uh, when Fitter was there, so there's a connection there. Uh, I like both of those guys, and then I'm not opposed to Gus Bradley, uh, the uh, former coach de- uh, defensive coordinator who I think is still under contract with the Colts, and I guess they could technically deny the interview because it's a lateral move, but uh, I, I wouldn't be opposed to that either. I mean, he's that's a, another guy who has previous head coaching experience and um, coached a pretty good defense in Indy this year with – I think, you know, he, he is one of Reich's friends personally, but uh, he's a, a guy that's – you know, he's a, a good coordinator. So I wouldn't be opposed to that, but I think any of those three guys would be good options in Carolina. Yeah. What concerned me about Bradley, and I know there's ties there with Scott Fitter as well when, in, when he was in Seattle, but I don't know if you saw the tweet about the report that Bradley was not the Panthers organization, which you would think is Scott Fitter. I mean, not Scott Fitter, David Tepper, wasn't. they weren't as high on Gus Bradley as Frank Reich is. And I can't remember who the one who reported that, but it was someone, I think, nationally, which is interesting. Uh, and kind of, you can kind of see where they're headed, where, you know, David Tepper wants to bring in the best of the best for offense and defense, no matter what it is. And I think there, you know, it could be someone that, they see more as a fit than Frank Wright would even see. So I thought that was interesting. So that there's some hesitancy there for me. I think Marquand Manuel might be a pretty decent choice just from his time in Atlanta for that short brief period as the coordinator. And it sounds like he's had some crossover with Frank Reich and Philly. So that's an option there. 
but I think, I think that's really it. I'm not, I was trying to, there was, there was a name or two that I mentioned last week that might have some crossover that I I'm blanking on right now that I was talking to JJ with, but that's the only guys that I've seen so far. And I, there was, there was also another report that said that they might even reopen that search. So we shall see what happens defensively, but I think it would be nice sooner rather than later to get those guys hired and in. Cause I feel like once some of these coaching positions start falling into place, they're going to start getting the coach, the OCs and DCs are going to be getting picked apart by these other teams. Now that, you know, you got Denver's got a coach today and then Houston as well. They're all starting to just fall into place at this point. So that's my concern. And I know Frank talked, he's talked in the, previous videos and then he talked today about taking his time and hiring those guys and not rushing the process so hopefully that comes together here quickly though but let's talk about Scott Fitter because I think he's he had a pretty interesting comment today off with beat reporters on the side and he said this was pertaining to the quarterback position and he said, if there's a guy in this draft class you like, move up and go get him. You have to have conviction on him. But if you have conviction, go out and get your guy. Take your shot, basically. Bryson, when I heard that, my eyes lit up. I know Scott has not you know, divulged too much into what they've done in drafts in the previous years. I know last year they played it pretty tight. Uh, and you know, didn't say much about it, but um, I think it's great because <laughs> I, I mean, I think we're both both of the uh mindset of going out and getting a rookie over a veteran. So, I wanted to ask you, who are you willing to move up for in this draft, and how much are you willing to give up to go and get that guy? Yeah, I um. I think there's really only two guys I would move up for, and that would be C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. I don't think uh, Levis or Richardson um, – I don't think really you would need to for either of those. I, I still don't buy the hype, the Will Levis hype. I don't think that he's going to be the number one pick or the number three pick. I think that he, he'll, he'll be a first-round pick, but I just don't see him going in the top ten. I just really don't understand any of that at all. But um, – I think, you know, if C.J. Stroud is is their, the apple of their eye, like all the reports say, um, trading up to three or two or one or whatever it would be uh, to get him, I think would probably be necessary. I don't think he would fall to nine. And uh, to what would I trade? I mean, obviously it would be a first-round pick, uh, probably a second and the ninth pick. Uh, and probably a couple other picks here and there, and then to move up to um, three or whatever it would be to, to get a guy like Stroud. I think this roster is in a very good position to to be able to do something like that. It does have some holes, um, mainly defensive end and linebacker and probably corner and tight end. But uh, I think that if you go out and get a guy like C.J. Stroud, uh, pair him with a coach like Frank Wright who ha who has developed quarterbacks before, and has that offensive mind. I think it's a, it's a match made in heaven. I think that's what something that you would set your franchise up for years to come. And I don't think that, you know, based off the comments today made by Scott Fitter that you mentioned, it's something that I really think they're considering and, and really looking into uh, to see what it would take. You know, I, I really love C.J. Stroud as a prospect. He's my number two quarterback uh, behind Bryce Young. But, uh, I you know, I could see it going either way, one or two. I don't really – necessarily think there's that much of a gap between the two quarterbacks at the top of the draft. So uh, I would be very happy, excited. I do not want to go the veteran QB route for the 18th year in a row and uh, try to, you know, fix somebody else's broken problem. So uh, it's, it's time to draft a quarterback and this year is the year. And if you have your guy, you go get them like Scott Federer said. Yeah. I'm, I'm part of the Bryce Young and Stroud hype train of trading up. And I think they should do it. I don't want any other position taken in the first round if if I'm this team. They have the pieces they built around and have, you know, some 
good resources on defense. You know, guys like Jeremy Chin, J.C. Horn, Brian Burns, Derek Brown. The list goes on, and then you finally have an offensive line, and you know if you you re-sign Deontay Foreman, who had a pretty good year running the ball, and you got a receiver in DJ Moore. Probably could use another receiver, and then obviously a tight end. But besides that, I mean, it's set up for them to go out and get a quarterback. And just looking at their cap situation, from what I'm seeing based off the new numbers, they're going to be still about. It looks like about nine million in the red right now. So you ain't going out and going to trade for some big name franchise. I mean, veteran quarterback like a Rogers or a Derek Carr because you don't have the cap space for it right now, at least. So I think that option's off the table for right now. I'm sure that's gonna. There's gonna be some adjusting going on and reworking contracts to open up some of that, but. I feel like they have a lot of their core already signed where you can get a rookie on a cheap, you know, the cheap rookie deal and you're set up for success for four years. And you can also get, you know, take care of some of the other guys, Brian Burns, you know, that's going to have to happen this season too. So I think CJ Stroud or Bryce Young makes all the sense in the world. I think I talked about this last week and the week prior, I'm all for the moving up. I have been, and it's, I'll do two first and the Christian McCaffrey package. You can have it. That's what they got rid of McCaffrey for, and I I still feel that that's what they were kind of building for, and they had that in mind when they traded him. Is that's what they're that's what they're gonna use as ammo to move up, and that's what you got to look at. Now I don't know if that's gonna get you to first because it sounds like from previous trades in the past it took three first rounders to do it, but. I don't know if that McCaffrey trade would be enough uh, and plus two first rounders for one, but definitely to three, I think you could, you could wiggle some things around and I don't know if it would have to take all that, but you would definitely, they could definitely move up to three. I think one's going to be a little bit harder to do, but should be interesting. I mean, there's so many unknowns. I mean, there. I, I don't even know why I'm pondering this, but we could talk about a little bit. Is does Houston, does Houston go a veteran quarterback route and go after like a Jimmy Garoppolo and not take a QB? Would that be crazy? That I did that. My that just popped in my mind this tonight, or just talking when you were talking with D'Amico Ryan's going there. Yeah, I mean, probably Houston fans are thinking I'm an idiot because I'm sure I'm sure they all want a quarterback, and I mean that makes sense, and I think they'll I think they'll end up probably getting one but i mean that scenario plays in your head so then you're sitting there thinking could you get your guy at three but we'll see i mean i could i definitely could see the colts move up i think i think that would be the other team that's going to move up to one would be the colts yeah i know you always have a surprise team in there as well that maybe would like to move up I mean, Atlanta's kind of an outlier, too, where everyone's like, yeah, it's Desmond Ritter, but I don't know if that's really the case either with them. So a lot can happen now until the draft. But, yeah, that's just something to keep in mind because they got to get that right, and that's going to that's gonna weigh heavily on how Frank Reich does, obviously, is getting that quarterback position right and stabilized. I keep – I just keep trying to – Trickle that into my tweet. Stabilize that position because people <laughs> need to realize that now. It's I really have a feeling they're going to trade off. I really do. Uh, if I was a betting betting man, I'd put a hundred bucks on it that they're they're trading up in this draft to go get someone. So we shall see. But it it'll make for some interesting conversations as we move forward here. And speaking of that, this weekend is the Reese's Senior Bowl. Kind of a bummer, though, because none of the top guys are going to be playing in it for QB. And that's really the position I care about the most and where I'll be focusing on over these next couple months. But none of the top four guys, how they're ranked by the national media, are going to be there. So it looks like we'll be watching Hendon Hooker and Max Duggan. Um and then obviously anyone who sticks out in the game itself, but that's really who I got my eyes on as far as that. You never know. I mean, you could always find your own Brock Purdy in there somewhere. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, 
it's a bit of a bummer. I don't know what the deal is with Levis uh, skipping out on the ball game and the uh, senior ball. Uh, you know, in my eyes, it seems like he's trying to hide something. Uh, and I think that's I've been a lot of reports is the way the scouts are seeing it as well. I mean, I just I just everything about Will Levis stinks to me. I just don't. It screams bust. And, and off of everything that we've seen this from this past season and and everything he's done, skipping the ball game in the senior bowl, I just I think, you know, if he would have played and, and shown a little bit of something, then maybe it could have swayed me the other way. Possibly, probably not, but uh, I just him skipping it altogether it just even adds to my to my I don't want to say hatred, but my dislike for him and 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 the potential of him being a Carolina Panther. Yeah, and I, I'm I mean I'm that most definitely is going to be asked. I mean during the interview process, why why did you skip the Senior Bowl and why did you skip the his bowl game? So. I mean, he's going to have to answer to that, and I see, I see, I see benefits to both. I mean, it could be one of these things where one of these scouts, you know, through a person to a person, was like, "Hey, we want to keep you on the lowdown. We'd like to draft you," type of thing. It could be, I don't want to get injured, and guys have taken that route. It could be, I don't want to throw to you know guys I'm not comfortable throwing with to really hurt and and kind of hinder my stock. I mean, it could be a multiple of things, but. Yeah, he'll have to answer those questions, and you know, teams I'm sure will get a sense where his head at, head is at with that. I won't at this point discount anyone as far as as far as those top four yet, because I don't want to go back on saying I as yet at least that you know I totally hate a guy, and then they ended up drafting him. So I'm kind of hanging ten on that, but. The top two for me, obviously, is Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, and I, I don't think they could go wrong with either of those guys. So it'll be a fun process to go through here. Coaching, I mean, the next move for Frank Wright is, you know, get the staff assembled. We actually didn't even mention it, so we'll talk about it here quickly before we wrap up. And that's the reports out. He didn't confirm it today on WFNZ, but all indication is that Chris Tabor and – God, James Campen, right? Yeah, James Campen. I don't know why his name was escaping me. Is going to return and stay with Frank Wright and his staff for the upcoming season, which is awesome news. Because everyone I've talked to, we had Bradley Bozeman on in December, and he said there's good coaches in this league, and then there's James Campen, who's a real, who's a great coach. So. The offensive line thinks highly of him. Fans think highly of him. They've turned a piss poor group into a, you know, a strong suit of this team in a matter of an offseason. And that credit to Scott Fitter for drafting those guys and signing those guys in free agency. And then hats off to Campin that you're really building that unit up and being a, a stronghold for this team. And it's good to see continuity with that group. And then Chris Tabor special teams is outstanding. They were in top, I think they were top 10 across the board. Statistically uh, a lot has to go into Johnny Hecker's play at, you know, punting the ball, but you know, to lose, they lost Zane Gonzalez in season on a freak injury. And to bring in a guy like Eddie Pinheiro that Tabor had familiarity with and to have to, see the season he had and to come in like that was outstanding and then to deal with you know the the roller coaster ride of the Atlanta Falcons game and you know fans wanting Eddie to be out and bringing in competition and then him to just rattle off and you know make 13 or 14 consecutive kicks in a row after that was just impressive so hats off to both them and I'm very excited that they're both back yeah I couldn't agree more i think that they were two of the best coaches on that on Matt Rule's staff. And, um, you know, like, like you mentioned, they proved it last season with the improvement in the, in the offensive line that we saw and then the improvement in the special teams. I think they were technically a top five unit this past year. Uh, and I think Tabor and, and Campen are both two really well-liked coaches in the 
in the locker room. So it could help with that transition a little bit more. And why fill holes when you know you have guys in place that get the job done and get a job, get the job done at a high level. So really pleased um, to, to hear that he's keeping around those two guys. Those were the, the two guys that I think we most talked about. It's like, we want them to stay around in Carolina. So um, it's he's starting off on the right foot. The stage is set and we're counting down to the battle in Arizona. There's no better way to get ready for the NFL action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, f- official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 57. New customers can bet just $5 and get $200 in free bets instantly. Plus all new and existing customers can take a shot at an even bigger payout with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays. Boost your Super Bowl 57 winnings with each leg you add. Well, this Super Bowl matchup, Bryson and I are both going to make the pick here. Right now, the Eagles are favored by a point and a half over the Kansas City Chiefs. Bryson is going to take the Eagles to cover and win this game. He thinks their defense is going to be too much for Patrick Mahomes in that offense. I'm going to go the opposite. I'm going to take the Kansas City Chiefs. They are a one and a half point underdog. And I just think, you know, Patrick Mahomes impressed me in that win over the Bengals. I didn't think he'd play as well with the injury. And it seems like he has been pretty comfortable uh, with that injury and has played pretty well. So give me the Chiefs as the Super Bowl winner this year. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code TPPN. New customers can bet $5 on Super Bowl 57 and get 200 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TPPN. Now joining us on Panthers on Tap this evening, lead analyst for Colts coverage on Fan Nation, also the co-host of Locked on Colts podcast, Mr. Zach Hicks joining us. Zach, thank you so much for taking the time this evening. Yeah, of course. You know, this might be one of the last times I get to uh, talk about Frank Reich, and I love Frank Reich, so I'm excited to talk about him. Well, we're glad to, <laughs> we're glad to hear that. Let's get into it. I just kind of want to get the sense um, of what type of coach we as Panther fans are getting. Just give me a rough summary of what you saw from his time in Indy. Yeah, so if you guys are just talking from the media perspective and just from the person perspective, it's very, very hard to find someone as likable as Frank Reich. You guys have probably already seen, uh, I think he has the, what, $500,000 pledge that he already opened up just today. Uh, towards uh, victims of sexual abuse, I believe is what it was. Um, that's just the kind of guy Frank Reich is. You'll you'll notice that when he's doing press junkets, when he's doing that away from it all, uh, just one of the most likable human beings you'll ever come across. And and I think his players really resonate with that. Uh, we've seen here with the Colts, you know, even though it it went sour towards the end of his tenure, like the locker room was just in a bad place at the end of his tenure. All these players in Indy love and respect Frank Reich. Even the ones who, if they were on any kind of sour ground with or like not not good footing with, everyone loves Frank Reich. He's just a great human being. Uh, and then if you're talking just schematically and what he brings to the table, one of the best offensive minds in the game. I uh, just love his opening scripts. Not this year. It was it was kind of a mess this year. But statistically, traditionally with the Colts, his opening scripts were great. One of the best advanced scouts in the game. Uh, in my opinion, and just one of the most complex and unique offenses when it's all clicking. So I I really think this is a home run hire for the Carolina Panthers. You're getting an amazing human being, a guy who can step in from day one and is not going to be controversial. You know, this is going to be a guy that everyone loves, uh, and he's going to bring some really good things as an offensive mind and as an overall head coach to this uh, organization. Now, you've said a lot of good things about him. What went wrong in Indy for him to be, you know, let go? You know, I think Frank Reich actually covered it really well in that opening press conference. You know, he he did point to some like logistical and just real reasons why it went sour. But he also didn't take the blame off himself because he's not blameless here. You know, one of the biggest downfalls for him with Indy is him saying, I can fix Carson Wentz. You know, go get me Carson Wentz. And we've seen multiple teams try to do this now. And it has cost a lot of people jobs trying to fix Carson Wentz and trying to make Carson Wentz what he's not. And unfortunately, you know, he tried the whole Carson Wentz thing. He loved Carson Wentz's prospect, loved him in Philly. And when he saw the chance to get his guy who was available and maybe potentially fix the Colts, you know, years of not having that franchise quarterback, he really, really went to bat for his guy and it blew up in his face. You know, they traded Carson Wentz after the season. 
it kind of got him on really poor footing with the organization. And also just that locker room started to fracture because, you know, it's tough overgoing, like just undergoing change every single year. But when you're undergoing change at the quarterback position every single season, that is so tough on a locker room. It's very tough on his type of scheme. And I'm not saying the locker room turned on him, but that locker room just started to fracture a lot. Like it just was not a good place. Uh, the owner was kind of overstepping some things and, and it, it just got to a really bad place there. And look, at the end of the day, he should have been fired at the end of the season because the Colts needed some change. Uh, it's really unfortunate the way it went down, having such a good guy and a good coach get fired the way he was in the middle of the season. But yeah, the Colts just ultimately needed some change. And, and Frank Wright kind of brought this on himself when he went to bat for Carson Wentz, you know, like, Again, I, I understand the risk he took, but when you take that risk, it can cost you your job. And that's really what was the beginning of the end for Frank Reich in Indianapolis. Yeah, and I think uh, Curtis would back me up, and I know the listeners would. I've, I've been on the Frank Reich train for a while. Uh, he was my – Ben Johnson was my favorite in Carolina, but once he backed out, uh, Reich was my number one. Uh, you know, a lot of the things you touched on. Uh, but I do want to go back to something that you briefly touched on and his, his offensive mind. Um, what, what are some basic schemes, concepts of a Frank Reich style offense? Yes. So when, when you think of Frank Reich's offense, think of the, the Doug Peterson type of offense, but just a hint of, um, oh shoot, I forgot his name, but the guy who was with the Colts for all those years, who called, uh, all those Colts offenses during the Colts glory days in the early 2000s, you get a little hint of that and a little hint of like Ken Wisenhunt too. You know, those are the guys that you're really getting a little bit. It's a lot of the quick game, uh, love the triangle reads over the middle. So you're getting three options real quick. You want that quarterback to just be able to progress through those reads and stress those linebackers over the middle. Um, and it's a heavy use of tight ends too. We saw that a lot with Frank Reich. Uh, early on with Eric Ebron and Jack Doyle, Muadley Cox started coming into his own early on as well. Uh, use those tight ends, use those triangle reads over the middle, really stress linebackers. And that's how he likes to attack defense in the passing game. You know, there will be shot plays, there will be plays down the field, but it's ultimately about stressing the weaker points of defenses. And then when you're looking at the run game, very, very multiple rushing attack. You know, there will be inside zone. There will be outside zone. There'll be power. There'll be gap. There'll be duo. A lot of duo. You guys will get used to the word duo quite a bit. A lot of vertical displacement by getting those double teams on the inside. And then the number one thing that's really fun is the wham and trap plays. There will be a lot of plays where these tight ends are coming across the formation and, and cutting a defensive tackle over the middle or cutting the backside defensive end. And it's just bang, bang play where if that running back times it up right, it can be a you know, 20, 30 yard run. So I think ultimately, and this is actually where some Colts people started kind of going sour on Frank Reich. It is a very complex offense. There's a lot of things going on. I mean, just what I was saying here in the running game alone, there's so many different schemes and calls in the passing game. It's kind of similar too with these different areas that he brings from but uh when it's clicking and when he has that continuity you know if he can have the same quarterback for two three four years i really think his offense can be one of the best in all of football It is so complex but it is so unique and and just the way that it attacks teams so i'm a big fan of frank reich's offense i wrote a lot of articles for horseshoe huddle through fan nation about his opening scripts about his triangle reads about his progressions uh, he does some really, really good things with that offense. And and again, I think when he has continuity at quarterback, that's when you'll really see this offense go to another level under Frank Gregg. What about his in-game coaching style? Conservative, take risks. Um, and then as far as challenges, how was he in challenges? I know that isn't, I mean, that is part of the game too, but how was his, you know, his challenge record and how was him calling, you know, they're on the, you know, a 52-yard field goal on fourth and three. Are they going for it? Are they kicking the field goal? What was his style uh, in game? Yeah, so he's very analytically driven. Uh, that's actually something that Jim Irsay said he liked about Jeff Saturday when he <laughs> brought in Jeff Saturday halfway through the year, that Jeff Saturday is a football guy. He's not analytically driven. And it kind of felt like a shot at Frank Wright because Frank Wright has always been very heavily analytically driven, you know, especially on those fourth down things, you know, he's not Brandon Staley where he's going to go for every single fourth and one, even on like, like, like his own 10 yard line. But when he sees an opportunity to be aggressive, you know, at midfield or on the opponent's 40 yard line, and it's a fourth and two, fourth and three, 
he'll call his best play and go after it. Even if the offense, you know, even when his offense is run by Carson Wentz, he will go for it because he trusts the analytics in that situation and trust his offense to get the job done. It doesn't always pay off. And, and you guys know when, when it comes to fans, when those aggressive plays don't pay off, it's the head coach is the dumbest guy ever. But when they do pay off, oh my gosh, he's so smart. He's so aggressive. So it kind of goes both ways. But no, he's a very aggressive play caller, especially on those fourth down calls. You know, you're never going to see him uh, hunting on the opponent's 40 on a fourth and one. He will go for it uh, almost every time. Uh, in terms of challenges, I think he was a little below average. Uh, you know, challenges are kind of tough because you have that 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 person in your ear that's really telling you what to, to go or not to go. So it really depends on the organization, I think, more than the head coach. But uh, I will say, again, seen, watching Jeff Saturday down the stretch, I would take Frank Reich's uh, ability to challenge and, and call a game over what I saw from an ESPN and analyst to do it late in the season. So I wouldn't say it's as bad as novice level by any means. All right. Uh, yeah, thank you for that. Um, uh, that's something that I've been wanting in Carolina for a long time is the the offensive-minded head coach is something that we haven't had in a very long time in Carolina. So excited about that. Um and, and kind of going back to, to his time in, in uh, Indianapolis, uh, would you say that he was dealt a bad hand uh, or how concerned should we be with the revolving door that, that you guys had uh, at quarterback during his four seasons in Indianapolis? Yeah, I think, I think anyone saying that he wasn't dealt a bad hand in Indy is being disingenuous. You know, I mean, how many teams – could you say right now? I mean, we're talking teams that had a Pro Bowl quarterback. You know, Andrew Luck was a Pro Bowler in 2018. Pro Bowl potential All Pro type quarterback just walk away from the game. How many teams could survive that? How many coaches could survive that? You know, it's just that's an impossible ask. And the fact that the next year with Jacoby Brissett, who was their backup in 2018, that they won seven games even. You know, with Andrew Luck leaving them before the season started, that's an accomplishment, and that's something to to be proud of with Frank Reich. And then the next year, bringing in a quote unquote washed up quarterback in Philip Rivers and going and winning eleven games and taking the two seated Buffalo Bills to the wire, that's an accomplishment for Frank Reich. That's a, that's very much an accomplishment. Uh, so yeah, he was dealt a bad hand, and I think early on he adjusted really well and he did the best he could. But eventually, you know, he he helped take that big risk for Carson Wentz. And then the wheels kind of fell off. So, you know, he shares some blame in where the Colts are now. But he was dealt just a horrible hand, just just one of the worst hands you could be dealt as a head coach. And he honestly survived much better than almost any head coach in the NFL would for two years after that. So I think you des he deserves some credit for how he handled that horrible situation. Uh, and it's just unfortunate the way it ended. Like we would still, I, I personally, I wish Frank Reich had Andrew Luck for every single season because I wouldn't be on this podcast right now. I'd be able to say, hey, Frank Reich is leading the Colts to championship games, maybe Super Bowls, because I think he's that good of a head coach. And I think if you give him someone like Andrew Luck, uh, I really think that it could have led to so much success in Indianapolis. Let's talk about staffing for a moment. Um any guys that we should keep our radar on as far as coordinator positions go? I mean, I've, I've already heard some reports and names out there, but any anyone in particular either on the current raw, current staff of the Colts uh, once he was fired or, you know, anyone outside of that? Yeah, so uh, honestly, I would say this is one of Frank's biggest flaws as a head coach. And, and when he mentioned doing a lot of self-reflection and self-scouting, I really hope this is an area where he got better because his staff building after the initial staff in Indy progressively got a little bit worse and it kind of leaned more towards, I don't want to say nepotism because all coaching staff builds are kind of nepotism. You know, you, you build with guys that you've worked with guys who are your buddies. Uh, but it felt like he sometimes, and, and this might be an Indianapolis thing too, because Indy is notoriously a little bit cheaper when it comes to building staff around their head coach than other organizations. Uh, but he did kind of go more towards his friends, guys that maybe weren't the top of the line, and it kind of hurt them a little bit. Now, getting a guy like Gus Bradley actually did some good things for the Colts this past season. I think that's a guy that you guys should be keeping an eye on, You know, potentially getting Gus Bradley out there to be a defensive coordinator. Him and Frank Reich are good friends. He came over because of Frank Reich to the Colts. So I think that makes some sense. 
maybe not in a coordinator role, but uh, Colts interim play caller, Parks Frazier, who was, uh, I think, an assistant QB coach before he got the uh, the interim play calling. I'd almost bet that he's going to be some part of Frank Reich's staff. Those two are really close. And, and Frank Reich kind of built him up through the organization. But outside of the Colts, you know, I think Kevin Petullo from, from the Philadelphia Eagles, that was a guy who worked under Frank Reich there. And then you got to look at some other guys maybe on that Eagles staff because he is close with Jonathan Ginn. He is close with Nick Sirianni. Um, there is this defensive coordinator. There's this uh, linebacker coach, I'm sorry, for, for the Philadelphia Eagles. I think his name's Nick Rallis. Uh, he's not a guy who ever overlapped with Frank Reich, but if Jonathan Gannon is giving the the vote of approval, he's only like 29 years old, this linebacker coach, but I've heard he's one of the, like the big upcoming names uh, in the game right now for defensive coordinators, and he will be one within the next couple seasons, so I could see maybe Frank Reich getting a little risky and going young there, but uh, no, I think Gus Bradley is a name to watch for sure from the Colts. He had a great season with the Colts this past season, and uh, he, him and Frank Reich are really, really close. Now on the flip side to that, players players he might try to snag from the Colts or even his time with Philly um, yeah. any guys that come to mind I know a couple of years ago with the Colts he was begging the Colts to go after Zach Ertz you know I don't think that's a thing that's going to happen because I don't think Ertz is a free agent but I do know for a fact you know if going back to those Philly days he loves he loves himself some Zach Ertz so if there were any way that Zach Ertz could be available it wouldn't shock me in the slightest for him to bring him there to Carolina but uh, as far as Colts players, you know, Colts, a lot of their free agents are kind of on the defense side of the ball. And we kind of are speculating that they're going to be going to Chicago with Matt Eberflus. But I would say on the offensive side of the ball, Paris Campbell is one that makes a lot of sense because Frank Reich was so, so big in the drafting of Paris Campbell here in Indianapolis. Like he was the one who wanted Paris Campbell in Indiana. Chris Ballard obviously liked him too, but uh, that, that was his guy. And he kept hyping up. I mean, every off season, it was, Paris Campbell, if he's healthy, he's going to have a big season. You know, fantasy fantasy owners were going crazy every single year being like, oh, I guess Paris Campbell's the guy to get. And finally, Paris Campbell had his big season this year. I think he had like over 600 yards, played in every single game. He was finally healthy, 4-3 speed, uh, really good wide receiver. I, I bet the Colts want to try to bring him back, but if he does hit the open market, it wouldn't shock me in the slightest for Frank Reich to go after him. To, I mean, to pair him with DJ Moore uh, and that speed right there, that would be a really fun combination. All right. So from what you know about Frank Reich and his time in Indianapolis, uh, what guy in the draft, in this upcoming draft, quarterback-wise, uh, would you think would be Frank Reich's guy? Yeah, so Frank Reich is kind of like a chameleon with his offense. So he's been able to work with guys like Andrew Luck, who are those mobile pot passers who can also work outside the pocket. Uh, Jacoby Brissett, even though he's not that athletic, was primarily like a running type guy with Indy because he was just so far behind as a passer. Uh, and then we even saw uh, Carson Wentz, again, more of that Andrew Luck type build. And, and honestly, I know you guys probably won't love this because I know he's such a divisive prospect. But when I was watching quarterback prospects for the Indianapolis Colts, I kept thinking, man, Will Levis is everything that Frank Reich wanted in Carson Wentz when Carson Wentz came to Indy. You know, this is a guy with such a lightning quick release who can operate those triangle reads, who can be successful off of play action, RPO game. Uh, he's kind of every, he's just everything that he wanted Wentz to be. And he's, he, and Will Levis is actually confident attacking the middle of the field where Carson Wentz had to throw everything outside the numbers because he hated the middle of the field. Uh, so I think Will Levis is a guy that Frank Reich will like a lot. Uh, but I could also see, you know, Bryce Young with that RPO game and that quick passing game and just how smart of a passer he is. I could see him loving Bryce Young. I could see him loving C.J. Stroud as well, just because that ability to throw those touch balls down the field and across the middle on those crossers. I, I really like that there. And even Anthony Richardson, in a way, because we saw when Frank Reich was forced to start Sam Ellinger this year, we saw quarterback draws. We saw quarterback sweeps. We saw uh, read options where the quarterback was keeping it. Uh, so I, I really think he's such a chameleon when it comes to quarterbacks that he could he could really work with any of these guys. Uh, but I would think Will Levis would be the guy who fits his scheme the best. I think that's that's the guy, again, when I was watching college prospects, I was saying this is a Frank Wright, Doug Peterson type of quarterback, just with his release, his athleticism, and his ability to work those RPO and play actions. It's funny you say that because I think uh, Draft Network put out a mock draft. I think it was either – I think it was yesterday – and I, they had the Panthers in it trading up to number one for Will Levis, which fans <laughs> would go 
bonkers if it happened right. uh, and be pissed off. But I, I said the same. I tweeted that and I said, I it just Will Levis just seems like a Frank Wright kind of guy. I don't know what it is. He just he kind of reminds me of that Carson Wentz type. <laughs> yeah, well, and and sorry to interrupt here, but another thing is Frank Reich is heavily religious. Uh, he's a pastor, you know, and it, very much he was a pastor before he got back into coaching. Uh, and every time he's been away from football, he kind of goes back to the ministry and, and and being a pastor and stuff like that. And uh, Will Levis has the Bible quotes all over him. He it just kind of gives that that. Carson Wentz, because that was a big way that he connected with Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz is a very religious person as well. And I'm not saying Bryce Young and Anthony Richardson and CJ Stroud are not religious in any way, but I'm just saying when I see Will Levis and I see the Bible quotes tatted on him and I see him thanking God after every game, I'm like, man, that's the Frank Wright quarterback right there. They're going to bond so much over God and, and religion, just like he did with Carson Wentz. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm just saying it kind of reminded me of that Carson Wentz relationship he had. Well, I must say, if that's the case, I, I remembered this. I don't know why I remember this, but Bryce Young's cover photo on Twitter is of the cross. So let's, let's, let's hold that connection. <laughs> please, please be the other way. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I think, Bryce, I don't know if you have any other questions for him. I think that was all I had. I just wanted to kind of get a sense of what you've seen, you know, from Frank Reich's four plus years in Indy. I know, you know, it was, he had some good years there. And then obviously this last season went sour at the end, but I appreciate your perspective and everything you've, you know, told us. And I've learned a couple of things, you know, just from listening to you that I didn't gain from that press conference day. So I appreciate that Zach. And if you guys ever want to read anything up, I'm sure Zach has written the articles on it, but go check him out. It's he covers Colts coverage on Fan Nation. He's also the co-host of Locked On Colts podcast. Again, follow him on Twitter, Zach Hicks. Appreciate you again. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, that's going to do it for us this evening on Panthers on Tap podcast. We want to thank everyone for tuning in. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Panthers on Tap for all your analysis and breaking news. And as always. <laughs> <laughs>